There's something valuable about our souls. There's something valuable about what God has placed on the inside in each and every one of us. And now for the reputation, relation, and reality of Jesus. Welcome to Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the word. For those of you in the room, for those of you joining online, I'd like to say welcome. I believe it's a special night. I believe the Lord desires to speak something in our hearts. I don't believe that it's an accident or coincidence that we give up our time on a Thursday just because it's something else to do. It's my heart's prayer that we enter into this place with a heart filled with expectation. And I believe that as we set our expectation and our attention and our affection towards heaven, that he will respond. And so I just invite you to join me as we open in a word of prayer. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. You are so kind. You are so loving. You are so generous. You are so compassionate. You are so merciful, God. God, I thank you for just the love that you have for each and every one of us, the ways that you see us, that you know us, all of our faults and our frailties and our imperfections, our selfishness and our temptation to take our eyes off of you. But God, you continue to love us. You continue to draw us close. You continue to speak. You continue to protect. You continue to care about every single area of our lives. And so, God, we approach you with hearts filled with gratitude on tonight. God, I thank you for the way that your spirit has the power to transform it, can revolutionize our lives if we only believe God. And so we posture ourselves, we place ourselves in a position of humility and ask God that you would speak into our hearts tonight. God, it's not by the words of men, but it's merely by the power of you and by your word that lives are truly transformed. And so, God, I know that people who are here are carrying a lot. I know people who are watching might be experiencing anxiety and frustration and fatigue and worry and all of these things that are not helping us to focus on the things of you. But God, I ask right now that you would help each and every one of us to lay aside every sin, every weight that so easily entangles us. And God, I pray that you would just give us the strength for a few moments to lift up our eyes to the hills from whence come our help. God, we trust that our help comes from you. God, I pray that your words I pray that my preparation, I pray that the needs and the expectation in this place will converge in this moment. I ask that you would speak with clarity. I ask that you would speak with boldness. I pray that you would give us all wisdom and discernment to be able to understand what it is that you're speaking to us tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for being the great teacher, 
for being the great helper. We consecrate this time. We set aside this time and we ask, Lord, that you would have your way in us. Speak. Speak, Lord. We're ready to receive from you. And every heart in agreement said, amen, amen, and amen again. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I am excited. I never enter God's presence lightly. And I believe that what we're going to do tonight has the potential, if we'll be open to it, to change us. No matter where we are, no matter what we brought in here, I believe it has the power to change us. Now, both professionally and natural personality wise, I'm in the education field. I spend my days with middle school and high school students, loving on them, caring on them, teaching the word of God, trying to shepherd their hearts. And I never cease to be amazed that whether it's young people, old people, and everybody in between, how God has the ability to speak so clearly. So tonight we're going to get into God's word together, but it might look a little bit different. Is that okay? Uh, Same God, same word, same power of the Holy Spirit, same anointing, but it's going to look a little bit different. I believe that as we gather together, there's power in us learning together. And so what I've prepared, I brought some scripture. I know you got your own scripture, but I want to put some scripture in your hands if I can, if I can. We're going to look through a passage that should be familiar to most of us. We're going to be in Mark 8. Here you go, young man. Some of y'all might say, why you take time to print scripture out on some paper? I'm going to tell you why. I love to dig into it together. Hopefully you have something to write with. We're going to process God's word together. And I want us to look at it. And I've asked that God will help us to see things with fresh eyes. Hopefully this will be a familiar story. But I believe that as we work together to ask God to help us to see what he desires for us to see, I believe that some things will change for us. If you're with me, say amen. 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 So we're going to be in the gospel of Mark. Chapter 22 through 38. I like to say that Mark is the Marvel cinematic universe of the Gospels. Mark is the Marvel. Mark, you'll see this word immediately a lot. It's action packed. It jumps right in. It's marvelous. You know, if you're a Marvel fan like I am, you go, you know, you got November 11th marked on your calendar to go see Wakanda forever here in a few weeks. And, you know, Marvel, they just jump right into it. And you're like, oh, man, something's good about that. You don't fully know the plot. You don't understand where all the characters lie. But it's something that grabs your attention. And that's how Mark is. He just jumps right into Jesus's ministry. He's like, I leave all that genealogy stuff for Matthew to explain. But let's just get to Jesus's ministry. So I love the gospel of Mark. So I'm going to start in verse 22. And the word of God says, and they came to Bethsaida. Everybody say Bethsaida. Everybody say Bethsaida. All right. We all in this together. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Verse 27 says, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? 
And they told him, John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Verse 31 says, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Everybody say plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him because, of course, that's what we expect Peter to do, because Peter is that guy like that. Verse 33 says, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. And the people of God said, Amen. So here's what we're going to do. It's time to jump into the word. We're going to work into it together. So hopefully you have something to write with. I gave you something to write on. This is where we're going to start. This is what I want you to do in these 16, I guess technically 17 verses. I want you to take the time to go through and just underline something that captures your attention. Just something you observed. Just quick show of hands. How many of y'all before five minutes ago have heard this story, read this story at some point? Okay. I felt like I was among my people. I felt like we would be. Take the time to underline something that just stood out to you, something that was curious, something that caught your attention. I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to just look through there and be like, "Huh, that's interesting. Let me just underline that. So take the time to underline something that you found to be interesting. All right. Something you found to be interesting. We're going to have audience participation here as well. So if you're shy, it's not the time to shrink in your seat. Something that you found interesting. Yes, sir. Oh, you already on. I wouldn't go for it. We got some other stuff to mark up, but go ahead. Yep. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Great question. Great question. Hold on to that. Okay. We're going to get there. Let's just talk about what we're observing. What we're observing in these 16 verses. All right. My brother in the back. Give me what stood out to you. Okay. Ah, we're going to get there in a minute. I like it. I like it. I like it. He said, don't enter the village. One other person. One other person. Give me what stood out. Some you observed. 16 verses. Go ahead. I'm looking at you now. Yeah. Come on. This is kind of. You don't have to qualify. And when he yes. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. That's kind of like. Yeah. That ain't real sanitary. That ain't real sanitary. We coming out of COVID. Come on. So those are good things. All right. So we underline something interesting. Here's the next thing I want you to do. I want you to put a box, a rectangular box around every character that you see in these 16 verses. Every single character that you see, put a box around them. Put a box around them. The first one we should all see in 22 is who? The blind man. Okay. All right. All right. Let's make sure we put a box around all of the characters in the story. It's a lot of them here. 
more of them than first sight. All right. So take time, put a box around characters. All right. Next thing, I'm running out of shapes. Let's do a triangle around all the locations that are listed that you see spoken about. Locations. It can be specific. It can be general. But all of the locations that you see listed in these 16 verses, every location, every location. Let's toss a triangle around it. First one is easy. What's the first one we see? Bethsaida. Okay. We got Caesarea Philippi. Okay. You should have some underlined about something that's interesting that captures your attention. You should have a box around the characters. You should have a triangle around locations. Here's the next thing. I want you to put a star next to a word, phrase, verse, question, anything that you would deem to be critical to the Christian faith. Anything that's laid out in these 16 verses that you would deem to be critical or essential to the Christian faith. Put a star next to it. Put a star next to it. You should have some underlined. Hopefully you got something boxed. You got triangles. You got a star next to a critical question. And then just one last thing I'm going to ask you to do. At the top of your paper, at the bottom of your paper, either above the heading of Mark 8 or at the bottom under verse 38, I want you to write one question. I want you to imagine you were a person who was in Bethsaida or in Caesarea Philippi or one of these places. I want you to imagine yourself there and write a question that you would ask Jesus in that moment. If you could rewind time, you could hop in the time machine, dial it up. Be like, I want to go to Bethsaida now. I want to be here living and experiencing this right now. All right. Write a question that you would ask Jesus if you were present. Let me see if I can get three questions that people wrote. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. What's the importance of the soul of our soul? Yeah. And I love that those are rhetorical questions too. Jesus like, hopefully nobody really going to try to answer this, but hopefully it does stir an awareness that there's something valuable about our souls. There's something valuable about what God has placed on the inside in each and every one of us. That's a great question. Let me get two more. Let me get two more. I love when you ask people questions, they'd be like, oh, let me not look in this direction. Let me get two more questions. Two more questions. Question that you would ask Jesus. Okay. Okay. All right. That's a good one. We about to get there in a second. Boy, this time is moving quick. Let me get one more, one more, one more, one more question. One more. Can I ask my friend right here in the middle in the Braves hat since you represent the home team? Yes, ma'am. You, you young lady. Can you give me a question? What question would you ask? It's hard. Come on, just give it a shot. Ain't nobody listening, just me. Okay. Okay. All right. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for offering those. Yes, sir. Ah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that it seemed like there's some other options, you know. <laughs> All right. So here's what I want to do in the four minutes and forty six seconds that I have. All right. One reason I love doing Bible study like this, my Bible is just marked up from left to right. But six years ago, I came into a relationship with a pastor. And as he began to mentor me, we would do Bible study like this. We show up 
someplace to do Bible study, the passages printed out so that you can mark it up, you can circle, you can highlight, and you can take those notes and just begin to see things differently. And he also helped me to develop a rhythm or a practice in my own personal devotion to have a notebook where I literally take the time to write scripture out almost as a scribe. Because what it forces me to do is to slow down and see every word and look over it and make sure that I'm getting it in my heart and not rushing over it and say, oh, I read this before. I know what this says, but help me to see it with fresh eyes. So that's what I aim to do tonight. So here's the first thought. Anybody know anything about Bethsaida? I first read it. I was like, you mean Bethesda? No, my wife from D.C., you know, I was like, not Bethesda, Maryland, but Bethsaida. Anybody know anything about Bethsaida? All right. It is one of three towns that Jesus cursed when he walked on the earth. Jesus cursed Bethsaida. He cursed Capernaum and he cursed Chorazin. He said, woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. Woe to you, Chorazin, because you're a land filled with unrepentant people. The people in this place are hard hearted, knuckleheaded, stubborn, aren't open to what I'm trying to do. So he curses this place. So it's only natural. That when he shows up and there's a man that stands in need of healing, the first thing that he has to do is remove the person from the cursed place. So that's why he takes the man by the hand and he leads him outside of the village because blessing cannot happen in the midst of disorder, dysfunction, disorganization. And so it says some people brought this blind man to Jesus and they begged him. So it helps us to know that there were some believers, that there were some righteous, that there were some living for God in this place. They knew about it. It wasn't a huge social media campaign. It wasn't a huge blast about Jesus being in town. But when he got there, they took their friend, their brother, their cousin, whoever he was to be able to walk and ask Jesus to heal him. And as he led the man out of the village, he spit on the man's eyes, laid his hands on him and said, do you see anything? Now, here's a question. And just reading what we've read, how long has the man been blind? Not a trick question. He said 30 years. OK, somebody else. Based on what we read, how long has the man been blind? OK. All right. All right. Somebody might say if he's been blind, how does he know what a tree looks like? We don't know. We don't know if he was blind from birth. We don't know if he lost his sight at some point. But he asked him, like my man said, were there no other options of healing? Can we find something a little more sanitary? What's in a person's spit? DNA. Bacteria is too. But DNA. So Jesus takes this blind man. He removes him from the cursed place, spits in the man's eyes and lays his hands on him. It wasn't enough for him to just exchange DNA. He had to lay his hands on him. He had to put his hands on the man to help him see something differently. And here's a message for us as believers. Sometimes we feel like if we pray for somebody, if we share our testimony, if we do these things one time, boom, their lives going to be changed forever. And we sitting there like, man, why they don't get it? Because you're fighting against a curse. You're fighting against a system. You're fighting against a mindset that it's going to take some time. So Jesus lays his hands on the man. He said, what do you see? And he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And the best image that I can give is because I'm somebody with imperfect vision. Taking my glasses off right now. Y'all are just silhouettes. I can see as human beings here, but I couldn't tell you. I I can see kind of a rough shape of a head and color of hair and maybe a T-shirt. But I can't tell you a whole lot of details. But as my vision is clarified, oh, now I see differently. And then Jesus leaves them with the instructions. He says, do not go back and enter the village. Don't go back to the place that got you stuck. 
Don't go back to the place where doubt is going to be constantly there, where unbelief is constantly going to be in front of you, because that's when we get messed up, when we go back to the stuff that once helped define us. Okay, and it's almost like after that verse, it's like scene. Here's what I want you to do. Under verse 26, draw a line across the paper in between 26 and 27, like separating those two, because these verses is almost like three different stories being told. So this first story that we read is about reputation. Everybody say reputation. So 22 through 26 is about reputation. And there are two people's reputation at stake. One, you got the blind man, because in the midst of him being healed, some people might say, hey, man, were you really blind after all? You've been lying to us all this time. All this unbelief is happening, but it's also the reputation of Jesus at stake because there's a lot of unbelief. And Jesus says, I can't have you go back to the village right now. The time is not right for this to play out, but it's about reputation. This first section is about reputation. All right. We get into verse 27. He's kind of walking along through Caesarea Philippi and he says, hey, I'm just curious. Who do people say that I am? Now, I understand Jesus, one of the most humble, meekest people to ever walk the earth. He wasn't looking for an ego stroke with this question. He wasn't like, oh, tell me all the wonderful things that people are saying about me. That's not what he was doing. It was kind of a good conversation starter to try to move towards a more pressing question that he wanted to ask. But he says, who do people say that I am? And they're like, some people say John the Baptist, you know, you out here baptizing, you out here preaching, you got disciples like John. Some people say Elijah, we're seeing these glimpses of prophetic action happening. We don't know. And Jesus is like, that's cool. The real question is, who do y'all say that I am? He moves from very general into very specific because Jesus really desires proximity. He desires personal connection with every single person. And so verses 27 through 30, under 30, between 30 and 31, draw another line all the way across. Okay. Draw another line all the way across. So 22 through 26 was about what? What word? Reputation. All right. Verses 27 through 30 are really about relationship. It's about relationship. It's about proximity. Okay. And so it says he's strictly charged to tell no one about him. And that's strange because it's like, man, Jesus, I thought you told us to go and make disciples. Go out and tell everybody about your goodness. Jesus wants everybody to taste and see for themselves. He desires that proximity. He desires personal connection. He desires people to come open and just aware to God's goodness based on that personal connection. And then those final verses, he starts to teach them about what's going to really go down how he's going to be rejected and killed and rise again. And he said it plainly. He didn't speak it in Spanish. He didn't speak it in Swahili. He made it plain. He said, this is what's going to happen. And of course, Peter took him and rebuked him. And he has this moment where Peter says, get behind me. You're not thinking about the things of God. You're being selfish. You're focused on how you feeling instead of being focused on your faith. So if this first section is about reputation, if this second section is about relationship, this final section here is about reality. It's about reality. Because he foretells his death. He foretells his resurrection. He lays out what the cost of discipleship looks like. Verse 34, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. He helps to try to frame perspective to say, hey, I don't know if this is what you really want. But if it is, let me just be real about what you're walking into. So in these few verses, he lays out for us just reputation and how important that is and the depth of relationship that he desires to have. And then he tries to give us a reality check because the thing that I love about these verses is that it helps us to see whether it's a blind man, whether it's people unbelieving in an area, whether it's his disciples, those closest to him, 
or if it's those who are kind of teetering on the line of do I really believe this stuff? Do I really desire to commit my life and everything that I have and that I am to this whole idea of following Jesus? The skeptics, the cynics, those who have been hurt by church, those who have been burned by people. And he says, this is going to be the reality. There's going to be some hurt. There's going to be some wounds. There's going to be some daily death. There's going to be some taking up your own cross every day. There's going to be doing some things that you're not comfortable with. But Jesus always does things in the context of relationship. He always does things in the context of relationship with him and with other people. We don't get to play this game by ourselves. God doesn't call us to play solitaire. God doesn't call us to do it alone, curled up in the corner, not bothering anybody because he understands that everything that happens in our life happens in the context of relationship, both with him and with other people. And I love to continue to dig into it, but we're going to have to stop right there for tonight. So, God, I thank you so much just for the ways that you love us, just for helping us to behold your truth and clinging hold to it, just knowing that there's always something new to learn. There's always something new to observe. There's always depth and layers that you desire to reveal to us. So God, I thank you for keeping us sensitive to part of our call being to protect your reputation, to live well for you, to honor you, to Let our light shine so much that people are drawn and attracted to both the light and the warmth of who you are. God, I pray that each and every one of us would realize that you desire more than anything, genuine relationship, genuine fellowship, genuine connection and participation in our lives. And God, there is a reality with that. There are costs that we need to count. There are things that we need to consider. But God, I'm grateful that day by day and moment by moment and experience by experience and success to success and from failure to failure and from moments of anxiety to other moments of anxiety, from depression to depression, from riding the highest highs to navigating the lowest lows, you continue to be faithful in and through it all. So God, I thank you just for this time that you've given us to worship you in the beauty of holiness, to just examine your word, to let it be a mirror, to let it be a reflection to us, to take inventory, to search our hearts, to ensure that our motivations are in the right place. God, I'm so thankful for every person in this place, for every person that's tuned in tonight. I thank you for the work that you're doing in and through each and every one of us. Thank you for allowing us to Share your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you for allowing us to speak well of your greatness and your glory. God, I thank you for allowing us to encourage one another, to build one another up, to bear one another's burdens. That we can truly be the people that you've called and destined and ordained for us to be. God, I thank you for this special time tonight. I pray that what you've started will start as a seed. And we'll begin to bear much fruit in and through our lives. We love you. And I pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. And every heart in agreement said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, Art. You are listening to BrothersOfTheWord.com. This was the message titled, Reputation, Relation, and Reality of Jesus, by Jason Thomas. This message is number 6607, that's 6607, to listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 6607 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com.
If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to IWantToGive.com. That's IWantToGive.com. Listen to BrothersOfTheWord.com often because, brother, you need the Word. Brothers of the Word.